Welcome. We are so glad to be here with you today. Thank you for joining us virtually. I'm Sarah. This is Micah. We're the pastors at the Vine Church in Pasco, Washington. So we're so glad that you're here with us. As many of you know, we've moved into an, or are moving into mm -hmm. a new facility. It's brand new to us and we're so excited about there's a about it. There's a whole bunch yet to be done. Just wanted to let you know that in the near future, we're going to set up a work day on a Saturday and we'll invite you guys. We'll be safe with COVID and all that, but we are excited to begin working on this building and hopefully get to meet in the semi near future. We'll let you know. It's coming up, but we're glad to be together today in the capacity that we can. Here we are. Um, have you ever had one of those moments in life that was just like an eye-opening, oh my goodness, this changes everything moment? Mm -hmm. I, I had one of those in my Christian walk. It was in my early 20s. I was probably 21, 22 years old. Um, I had grown up in the church and I knew all sorts of stories and Bible verses and all those sorts of things. I'd even gone to a Bible college or university and gotten mm -hmm. a degree in youth and family ministry. And it was probably in the first year of my transition from having heard all these stories to now teaching them to, to teenagers, um, that I came to this just dramatic understanding and conclusion. Uh, it was on that day, I remember where I was sitting and what was happening, the day it clicked in my head that the Bible is not a collection of stories about people, nor is it really a collection of stories about God, but instead a narrative from beginning to end, the story of God who loves this world, who is engaged in healing this world. And so the Old Testament, it clicked in my head, oh my goodness, this is a story of God inviting Israel to be the agent through which his blessings would flow into the world. And oh my goodness, Jesus was a culmination of that promise that through Israel would come blessings to the world. And oh my goodness, the acts and the letters, these are the stories of the church of God's continuing continued work in the world. It was one of those moments where just my eyes were open and the Bible to me just became this beautiful narrative that I wanted to dive deeper into. And today we're going to be talking about um, some of the work of God in the world, as well as inviting us to have one of these moments where we say, oh my goodness, maybe there's more to be understood, more that I could be doing. As teachers, we call those aha moments, like aha. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It just clicks. So we've been in the book of Acts the last two weeks. We've been talking through the story of Cornelius, who was a Roman centurion, and Peter, who was a Jewish follower of Jesus. And we've seen how the Holy Spirit just brought these two people together. These two people who are very um, diverse culturally, who are very different from each other. And we've seen how the early church, there was some remarkable change. Remarkable things happened as they became more welcoming and more inclusive. And yet as the story continues, we see that that road was not easy for the early church. And often the church fell short of God's vision. And here we are 2,000 years later, and the church is doing some awesome things in, in our time today. They're being successful in many ways, but also we're seeing that the church falls short of God's vision as well. Yeah. So 2,000 years ago, Peter has this realization, oh my goodness, God does not discriminate, nor should we mm -hmm. as a church. And yet we find ourselves today struggling still uh, with this very same issue as it relates to race or gender or to many different things. And it just so happens that this week, 
uh, we as a nation celebrate Martin Luther King Jr., um, so, uh, it's holiday is tomorrow on, on Monday. And so we wanted to take a, another week to dig a little bit deeper into the subject and also to pay our respects there. So Martin Luther King Jr. was a man, um, who experienced and who saw clearly and who spoke relevantly about, uh, racial reconciliation mm-hmm. and specifically, uh, the church's role. You see, Martin Luther King Jr. was a Baptist minister and an activist who became central in the civil rights movement. He was a voice for nonviolence and for civil disobedience, and all of this based upon his Christian beliefs and values. In 1964, at just 35 years old, Martin Luther King Jr. was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for combating racial inequality um, through nonviolent resistance. And though Martin Luther King Jr.'s effort brought about remarkable change in our nation, uh, sadly, uh, hateful people um, assassinated him in 1968. And so today we look back and we um, reflect upon, we recognize his contribution to our nation. We recognize the contribution of those that walk with him in that time. And today we also recognize a continued need for change and growth in our nation. Absolutely. A need to change is still very present. You know, the pandemic and recent events um, have really just put on display both the overt and the covert racism that still exists in our country, in our communities. And so today we want to talk about how God wants us to treat each other. Give a little perspective there. But first, I think it's important to define racism because when we hear that word, many of us might think of something, um, think of it a little bit differently. So at the root of racism is this belief that one racial group is either superior or inferior to another. And that, that root belief can manifest itself in different ways. So first of all, you, ha- it can manifest itself in feelings or attitudes. So it can be overt hate or dislike. It can also be kind of more covert, um, ingrained bias that someone may be aware of or not aware of. So it can manifest itself in feelings and attitudes, but also within our systems. Ibram um, Kendi, who's the author of How to Be an Anti-Racist, he's also a professor, done some amazing work. He defines racism as a marriage of racist policies and racist ideas that produces and normalizes racial inequalities. An inequality, a racial inequality, is simply when two uh, races that live in close proximity to each other don't stand on equal footing. There's something in, um, there's uh, unequal gaps unequitable gaps there. And so this type of racism, we often refer to as systemic racism racism or institutional racism, when the actual structures and policies perpetuate this inequality gap. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to dig into scripture and we're going to explore what does the Bible have to say about equality and opportunity for people today. We're going to allow scripture to speak into our current context and uh, and, and us as mm-hmm. the church. Um, it, last week in Acts chapter 11, Peter came to this dramatic conclusion that 
almost seems like it should have been obvious, but he comes to this dramatic conclusion. God does not show favoritism Mm -hmm. and nor should we. Now, this concept is throughout scripture. In Ephesians 2, we're told that um, Jesus, he himself is our peace and he has brought together humanity. He has Mm -hmm. destroyed the barriers and the dividing walls Mm -hmm. of hostility that in Jesus there can be and there is peace. In Galatians 3, um, it says that those of us that have been baptized, we've been, we've been, we've clothed ourselves in Jesus Christ and, and we are no longer separated by things like race or gender or, uh, many other different things that in Jesus, there is opportunity and equality. And so today we, we talk about this kingdom of God that Jesus spoke over and over about this different way of being, this reality that exists within the world. Jesus prays, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so today we acknowledge that this kingdom of God is one of equity mm-hmm. and opportunity for all people. Amen. <laughs> um, so as we think about equality in the kingdom of God, and as, as we think about the racism that is present today, we want to look at the words of Jesus that has profound impacts on how we as Jesus followers engage. And so we're going to go first of all to Matthew 5. And in Matthew 5, that's the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus um, has six different statements in which he says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And he's taking a look at six different Old Testament laws, and he's expanding his hearers' understanding and interpretation of these laws. So the first one that he mentions starts off in verse 21. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, which means fool, is answerable to the court. Okay, so Jesus moves here beyond the obvious letter of the law. Don't kill people. And to most people, that's pretty obvious. That's pretty apparent that that is not appropriate behavior. But Jesus says, let's take it a step further. And he takes the subject uh, away from just the do and don't to a, a state of the heart uh, is are you allowing anger to take root in your life? Is hatred developing? And he says, so go beyond just not killing people, but learn to root out anger and hate in your life. This is still, I think, a very relevant subject for us today. Absolutely. He's saying that our attitudes and our heart matters. As a parent, I've seen this. <laughs> We've seen this. We have two girls. Uh, they're very close in age. They're awesome, awesome kids, and they love hanging out. They have a great relationships. However, as all siblings, sometimes they fight and they argue and they get pretty mad at each other. And Mike and I often, we're, we're trying to teach them to resolve these conflicts. So we'll say, hey, you need to stop fighting, go to your room, and sit down and resolve this issue, talk it out, and then come and tell tell us when it's resolved. And so sometimes they'll come out and they'll say, okay, we resolved the issue. And I just take one look at them and I can just see with their body language, they're, they're still frustrated, they're angry, or the, the door slams accidentally, or there's just this silence between them. You know, it's not just about ceasing the fighting, but it's about repairing 
the relationship. It's about moving forward in love. And that is what Jesus is getting at here. He's, he wants his disciples to go deeper than the surface level, deeper than just a list of do's and don'ts. He says, yeah, don't, don't murder. Absolutely. Don't murder, but also don't insult and demean and dehumanize and, and don't hate. Take it deeper than that. And then Jesus goes even further as he says, not only should you not hate or dislike or treat people badly, but he says you ought to love your neighbor. So Jesus in Luke chapter 10, a a teacher of the law comes to him and says, hey, what's the most important commandment in all of the law? And Jesus gives the right answer by Israelite standard and understanding, uh, love God with all your heart. Right. All your heart, soul, strength and mind with you. Everything you have, love God. But Jesus kind of, kind of goes out on a limb and he says, but there's another one that's also similar to it. This, the second greatest commandment, love people, love your neighbor is what he says mm-hmm. specifically. And the teacher of the law trying to justify himself goes on to say, yeah, but who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan. And you can go and read that story in Luke chapter 10. Some of us are are fairly familiar with it, but it tells a story of a man from another nation who shows great care and concern for a man who's been beaten. And it contrasts the Samaritan with the good uh, people, the priests, you know, the good people in Israel who just walk by and do nothing for him. And Jesus turns to the teacher of the law after telling the story and he, he says, so who was the neighbor in this story? And it's kind of an obvious answer, right? Jesus really teed this one up for the guy. The guy says, well, the Samaritan was the neighbor. And Jesus says, so go and do likewise. And I wish I could have seen the guy's face because at understanding the cultural context there, the Samaritans were not well liked by the Jewish people, by the majority of the Jewish people at that time. There was this, this tension, religious tension and racial tension in between them. And yet it was obvious that the the Samaritan was the good neighbor. And what I love about the Samaritan's actions is that he loved this Jewish man in tangible ways. So he demonstrated Mm -hmm. um, being a loving neighbor by caring for the man, by binding up his wounds, by financially paying for his care as he left. And so in answer to this guy's question, who is my neighbor? Jesus is saying, your neighbor includes the one that doesn't look like you, includes the one that doesn't speak like you, that doesn't act like you, that doesn't eat like you. It includes the ones that when you're around, it makes you a little bit uncomfortable. Like these, all all of these people are your neighbor. And what I love about the way Jesus engages this is he doesn't necessarily draw the conclusion or give the answer to the guy. Instead, he asks the question of the guy, invites Mm -hmm. the guy to be self-reflective. Who is the neighbor? And he gives the answer. And I just wonder what would happen if in this moment, if we as individuals, if we as the church were to be self-reflective enough to ask that question, like, my actions, the things that I'm saying, the things that I'm doing, the things that I'm thinking and feeling right now, am I engaging in the world in a neighborly way? Am I demonstrating love for my neighbor? Am I living out the love that God has for me and that I have for God in, in relevant ways in this season, in this time? Are my actions, my words, and my thoughts reflecting this idea of loving my neighbor. Hmm. There's another place where Jesus highlights 
um, that his followers must live out his love in tangible ways. In Matthew 25, he speaks of a king on judgment day welcoming the righteous people that have been following him. And he says to these people, um, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was stranger and you I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous people said to Jesus or said to the king, well, when did we do all this? When did we see you like this? And here's what the king replies. He says, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So Jesus here identifies with the hungry, with the thirsty, with those lacking clothes, with the stranger, the sick and the prisoner. These are, he says, the king's brothers and sisters. And to be a Jesus follower means that we tangibly and concretely love people. When Martin Luther King asked a question. He said, life's most persistent and urgent question is this. What are you doing for others? Mm -hmm. What are you doing for others? And Jesus here in this story says that what we do for others, we're actually doing for, for him. Mm -hmm. So I asked myself, and, and we've been reflecting this week mm -hmm. on, so what is the church's role in, in the world right now, in our nation right now? Um, when the world or our nation is not practicing equality, what is the church's role in that? Mm -hmm. And first and foremost, you know, I describe the church as like a lighthouse, you know, that, that we would be shining light on injustice, that we would be inviting people to come and to know the equality and opportunity that's found in the kingdom of God. Jesus describes mm -hmm. us as a light on a hill. We are to shine out that people would see something Thing different in this world right now. Now, throughout history, there have been those in the church that have spoken up uh, when injustice is seen, but quite often the church finds itself lagging behind, not perpetuating the equality and opportunity that's found in the kingdom of God. Uh, sometimes our silence allows the norms of inequality to be perpetuated in the world. And, and so today, I mean, we, we say, may it not be so in, in our lifetime. And as we are participating in the kingdom of God, as we are participating in the church, may we see injustice mm -hmm. and may we speak against it. Last week, we read the story of Peter coming to this realization, God does not show favoritism. And so our prayer for us as a church is that we come to the same conclusion. And it might seem obvious or, you know, it, it might seem like oh, we've already dealt with that. But but that is not the case, friends. As, as a church and as a nation, we have work still to do. We pray mm -hmm. for equality and opportunity in our nation, beginning in our church and spreading to all humanity. So there's work yet to be done within the church. There's also work to be done as individuals. And so we ask the question today, how can we individually participate in this work? And I think first and foremost, it's important to acknowledge that we come um, in a posture of humility. 
in a posture of humility, listening and learning, listening and learning. And we need to start with education. We need to educate ourselves on the biblical perspective on equality and social justice and what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like to really understand the heart of God um, in this. But also we need to educate ourselves from a historical perspective. So what is the history that has brought us here? What is the history of inequality and racism? Um, how does that history affect our current situation and how things are structured at the local, at the national, at the global level. And and especially for white people, I, I want to say we must we must listen to the experience of people of color because our how we have experienced this city and this nation and this world is different than people of color have experienced it. And so as a white person, I just want to remind us, we approach with humility and we must, must start off by listening. And then there's the, the real fun part. <laughs> and that is recognizing and confessing how our own bias, uh, be that known bias or be that unknown bias, the things that have been ingrained in us, those attitudes. And here's where the biblical principles of um, truth telling and confession and lament and repentance are so very important because it's through these practices that the Holy Spirit transforms us, who we are at the very core. And then we offer up our voices. We offer up our hands and our feet to God and ask God to help us bring about his kingdom, that we might operate with kingdom principles, principles such as equality, valuing every unique individual as made in the image of God, um, upholding unity, but unity without uniformity, where very diverse people are welcome and included and treated equally because of Jesus. And then we love. We love one another. And the question that I've been asking myself that I want to invite us all to ask as, as we, as we kind of conclude today is what does God's love require of me in this moment? In this context of inequality, in this season, what does God's love require of me? And I don't want to be that guy who, who walks past the robber on the road. Mm. I want to ask that question. And for me personally, I think we all have to ask that. For me personally, um, things that come to mind is humility and learning, uh, naming my bias, confessing sin and repenting, yielding power and privilege where I can and uplifting the voice of others and operating out of kingdom principles of equality, unity and love. So this week, is we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and we reflect upon his contribution to a national challenge that still exists today. And today, as a church, we reflect upon uh, the words of Jesus and the words of Scripture, um, that we would not allow anger to take root in our lives, that we would learn to love people, and particularly those that are different than ourselves, and that we would learn to care for people who are in need. This is the way of the kingdom, and mm. this is the challenge that Scripture lays out for us as a church invite you to pray with me. 
Dear Jesus, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your open arms that, that draw people in. Lord, we thank you for your beautiful creation, your diverse creation, Lord. We come before you humbly today, God, and we confess that uh, we have sinned in the things that we have done and the things that we have not done. And Lord, specifically as it relates um, to racism and equality and inequality and justice and injustice, Lord, I pray that you would transform your church to reflect your heart, Lord, that we would reflect the kingdom of God, of equality and love. Lord, we also lift up our nation this week. God, we pray for our leaders. We pray for, for a peaceful transfer, transfer of power. Lord, we pray um, that people may come to know you and your love this week. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we're going to post in um, the chat here a link to a song. It's by Jesus Culture, and it's called Make Us One. Uh, you might be familiar. We've mentioned it once before. Um, but it's a song about unity. And so we pray for unity as a nation, but may that begin in the church. Mm -hmm. And may we be a model of what unity can look like for our nation. Friends, thank you so much for joining us. Have a blessed week. Bye.